listening to Radio Tedland. Heading Nowhere, written by Patrick Cullen. Chapter 7 Crossroads. I'd once had a girlfriend in Basel, whom I'd met on a kibbutz the first time I was in Israel. It had been her I'd been on the way to visit when hitching through Yugoslavia in a lorry. Another time I visited her was after some days in Amsterdam. Trying to get out of the city, I took the tram out past the old Ajax Stadium to a place where there were lots of motorway junctions. I stood at them all one after the other with no luck until ending up at the last one, saying to myself, the next car that stops, I'll take it, not even caring where it was going. Promptly, a car stopped and offered me a lift. I got in the back seat with two men in the front, both around the start of their forties. The driver, Dutch, looked like a refined, older version of David Bowie in his Berlin years, while the passenger, a German, had the fading perm and beginning beer gut of a failed Rudi Voller. To start with, things were normal. We drove along the motorway, and they told me a bit about themselves. Apparently, they'd originally been divers, working in the North Sea. Then, in a synchronized movement, they looked away from the road and traffic and turned their heads to me on the back seat and said in chorus, They'd gone deep down, pointing demonstratively to the floor of the car as they did so. Too far down, apparently, because now they weren't allowed to dive anymore. Following this, failed Rudy said refined David was his daddy, and from that point, I started waiting for the moment I could get out, wherever that might be, just hopefully still in one piece. Soon, though, I too was drawn into the proceedings when they asked me why I was hitching. The short answer was, I had no money and was trying to get down to a girlfriend in Switzerland. Rudy opened his wallet and gave me a 50 guilder note to help me on my journey. Then Bowie stole the show, driving over the thick white lines that formed the intersection between an exit lane and the motorway proper. Shall I turn off? he asked. Or shall I stay? Each point of the question being accompanied by a nod of the wheel in the appropriate direction as we swung over the broad white lines from side to side. We ended up staying on the motorway, and after the same routine and similar swings from side to side, turned off at the next junction and drove up to a railway station. At the ticket counter, I stood at a slight distance with Rudy, whilst Bowie debated with the seller what type of ticket I needed. At the end of a long discussion, I was asked to return the 50 guilder I'd been given, which covered a ticket back to Amsterdam, and left 5 guilder in change to me. Later the same day, I finally made it out of Amsterdam and close to the German border before getting caught in a huge electrical storm. At a house on the edge of a small border town, I found a garage with an open door where I took shelter, the owner venturing out in the rain, thunder and lightning to tell me I could stay only as long as the storm lasted and not to take anything. They'd be keeping an eye on me. By the time I got to the border and crossed into Germany, I needed to sleep. Just over the border in a lay-by running parallel to the motorway, I found the entrance to a darkened office with a small semi-roof extending about half a meter that offered some form of shelter. I lay down on the concrete pavement, rolled up in my blanket, and snatched some sleep. When I awoke, it was light, and everything was different. The previously quiet lay-by was now occupied by a coach of teenage schoolchildren. Some of them were stretching their legs, walking up and down the pavement, but most sat in the bus looking at me. Maybe it was the feeling of being observed by so many, 
the manner in which I'd spent the night, or the way in which I lived my life, with the smoking and the drinking. But for whatever reason, I had great difficulty packing my things together. It felt as though both my hands had five thumbs but no fingers, and as I struggled to roll up my blanket and pack my bag, I raged inwardly at my young, laughing audience, shouting to them in my head that this clumsily shaking man they saw wasn't the real me. I finally managed to get down to Basil, but it was a washout as far as anything between myself and my girlfriend was concerned. She was very beautiful and made wonderfully decorative hats, but my feelings of love for her had gone by this time, overtaken and replaced by an all-consuming need to be drunk or stoned. I met up with her, mimed some appropriate sentiments, and she gave me a sizable amount of money. I was heading to a small farm north of Zurich, where I would end up working for a week, before moving on following an episode of drunkenness. The money in my pocket from my ex would pay my ticket and keep my fires fueled until I got there. As to her, I don't know. Maybe the money was a way of remembering any dream we'd ever shared, saying goodbye fair and square with no strings attached. I didn't look her up in Basel, having left the farm, but I thought of her, before stocking up on expensive Swiss booze in a supermarket and having a few drinks in the station bar, ready for the long train journey up to Hamburg. In Hamburg, I spent most of whatever money I had left waiting overnight for a connection to Denmark that left at five in the morning. My night of foraging had found expensive bars and hungry pornographic video cabins on and around the Reeperbahn, and by the time I reached Denmark, I was hungover and more or less broke. I was well looked after by my friend. Cheap beer was plentiful. But by the end of the week, I got some money sent from my mother in England that meant I could move on again without outstaying my welcome. I wanted to head back to England via Amsterdam and to do so as cheaply as possible. I got a train and managed to travel, partly with ticket, partly without, to Bremen, and then on to a city near the Dutch border called Rhine, close to Munster, where I had been born. From the railway station in Rhine, I got a lift to the nearest motorway junction. It was some way out of town, a lonely flyover where the motorway bridged the road, with slip roads you could drive on or off skirting banks of green grass and immature pine trees. When I arrived, the pines were in darkness. Evening had become night. It was raining, and I was alone as I stood under the bridge. My attempts at stopping the occasional vehicle that drove past onto the motorway were met only once or twice with a slight slowing down, before a more noticeable speeding up as they swerved around and passed me. And as I stood alone there under the bridge, I told myself that I had tried praying to different gods in my life, all seemingly without result. And so if there was a devil, he could have my soul, if only he got me to Amsterdam. A little later, I looked at my watch and saw my offer of a deal with the devil had been a midnight one, and at a crossroads too. At one point, I walked up to the motorway and stood on the hard shoulder while I tried to stop a car. The only one that stopped was a police car, but the police refused to arrest me. They said were I to try and stop a car driving on the motorway, it would be illegal, and for that, they would arrest me. Their interpretation, though, was that this was not what I'd been doing when I'd stopped their car, and as such they were giving me a friendly warning and asking me to leave the motorway despite my protestations that stopping a car had been exactly my intention and that I was thoroughly deserving of arrest. Unable to convince the police to arrest me, I slept in a couple of black bin bags under a young pine tree. I made holes in the bags for my arms and legs 
and managed to snatch a couple of hours' sleep in shelter from the rain. In the morning when it got light, a maintenance gang driving to a railway station over the border in Holland picked me up and gave me a lift. Lying in the open flatbed of the truck with the maintenance gang's tools, it was then it struck me. I'd said nothing about any time limit when I'd offered my soul to the devil, and maybe in such things, it's the detail that counts. I didn't want to spend any of the money I had on a ticket, but I caught a train from the small station where I got dropped off and told the ticket inspector I was travelling to Groningen. I'd met two girls in Israel that lived there, and I got a ticket for the journey by giving the address of one of them to send the bill to, knowing I'd likely be long gone by the time it arrived. I arrived and met up with my friends. They hadn't known I was coming, but were pleased to see me, and gave some advice when I half-heartedly asked about the prospects of finding work. There was some party or arrangement they had to go to, so I was left by myself for the evening, and it being Holland, the city had lots of smoking cafes where I could buy pot. I quickly spent most of the money I had getting stoned, and what I had left got me a ticket to Amsterdam. I left without saying goodbye to my friends. I had good luck hitching, and managed to make it from Amsterdam to Belgium, and a ferry port, across the channel, and back to the small provincial town where my mother lived without problems. But within a couple of months, still restless, I'd raised the funds for a one-way ticket that took me back to Tel Aviv once more. 